Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning we are hitting week two of this uh, last portion of the the series, The Road Less Traveled, and our, our study in the book of Revelation this morning. And last week we went through kind of an introduction, right? We, we talked about what the book is. And, and one of the things that the book of Revelation is, is a letter. And there's some specific things that we know about a letter. If I'm writing a letter, that means I'm writing it to a specific person. And that specific person lives during a specific time. And that specific person lives in a specific place, right? And so what we know is that this letter cannot say to us what it didn't say to them. And so that's, that's kind of a, a good starting point for us as we go into these, these discussions of, of things that, that are coming in the future, things that are, are prophesied to take place. So we, we have to look at it through this specific lens. And what the other point that is important for us to keep in mind as we continue to look at this book is this is a letter that was written to them, to these seven churches, to these specific people, but it was written also for us. So there, do we understand the difference that it's written to a specific group, but it's for us to still look at, to still receive from, to still apply to our lives today? But I cannot write myself into Scripture. That's, that's not how it works. So starting in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, To the church in Laodicea. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold or find in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and, and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In chapters 2 and 3, John is writing these words that he hears from Jesus. He's, he's receiving this message from Jesus towards these seven churches that are in Asia Minor. And he commends them where Jesus commends them, and he rebukes them where Jesus rebukes them. 
And as you kind of start going through this, you start to see that there's some consistencies. There's, there's some specific points where Jesus is consistently commending. And you see some specific points where Jesus is consistently rebuking throughout these seven churches. And maybe if there is a part of scripture that is specifically calling out things that Jesus likes and also calling out things that Jesus doesn't like, we should maybe pay attention. <laughs> we, we should probably listen. And so uh, the, the church that Jesus is seeking should be marked with, with really two things that we can pick out today. That what, what does God want from a gathering of his people? The church should be marked by a faithfulness to the word of God. If we look at, at the, the different uh, commendations that he gives to these seven churches as we kind of go through this, a church should be marked by faithfulness to the word of God. If God shows us something about himself through his word, then we need to pay attention. And in addition to a church being marked by, the faithful, by faithfulness to the word of God, a church should love one another deeply. And if both of those things are happening, then it stands to reason that you, there should be a, a successful uh, body of Christ existing there. Th those two things are, are needed. The, the challenge to that. So, okay, I mean, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? <laughs> so there, there must be something that's making this difficult. There must be something that's making this hard. There, and there is. It's the enemy of our soul, and it's our own sinful nature that are making it difficult. And so there are three specific schemes that, that come against us, that challenge us, that make it difficult to see a successful life in Christ, right? And so these three schemes are a church that is biblically knowledgeable but cold, a church that is spiritually aware but indifferent, and a church that is spiritually weary and falling away. And we're going to talk about what those three things look like first, a church that is biblically knowledgeable but cold. Another way to, to think of this is there's, there's good doctrine, but there's bad devotion to that doctrine. And if you look at our world today, if you look at the news, if you look at the entertainment industry, if you, you just look outside your front door, <laughs> yeah, hope, hopefully not, but yeah, maybe, we live in the midst of cancel culture. We live in the midst where uh, of condemnation, where condemnation is the norm, where the world is seeking out ways to condemn, seeking out ways to, to cancel, seeking out ways to tear down and to destroy. What an amazing testimony it would be if the church lived a life that was opposite to that. If we were long-suffering, if we lived deeply, if we were slow 
to anger, if we were abounding in steadfast love? What if we had gospel doctrine and gospel culture? Recognizing that just as we have been forgiven by Jesus, so too we must forgive. The, the song, it's an older song and it's pulled from scriptures, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, right? That we should be called sons of God. How great the love that the Father has lavished on us. Now we're supposed to go and lavish it on other people. We're supposed to lavish the love of God. What Lavish is an interesting word. When I, when I think of love in the context of lavishing it, I, I feel like extravagant. Above and beyond that, that you're, uh, you're almost making a mess with it. You're using so much of it. It's like a kid that sits down to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and they take like half of the jar of peanut butter and put it on the piece of bread and then they take half the jar of jam and then all of that is on the counter floor. That's, that's the kind of lavished, extravagant, extra love that the Father has shown to us. And I know that triggers a lot of people as far as being sticky. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> And then it's cleaned up nicely. (laughs) Yes. But that's the kind of love that, that God has towards us. And that's the kind of love we're supposed to have. And what the, the attack of the enemy is, is that there is this feeling that I can stop at doctrine, I can stop at head knowledge, I can stop at the learning component of it, and I don't need to go any further. What happens sometimes in churches today, and guess what, it happened all the way back to churches during Jesus' time as well, where doctrine becomes a weapon, Doctrine becomes the weapon of war towards one another, where we become like the Pharisees, where we say, I'm doing everything exactly as it's written. I'm doing everything exactly right, and to the point that it is detrimental and damaging to the people that God has actually called me to be in ministry towards. Doctrine is not the end of the process. Doctrine is supposed to be embodied. I'm supposed to say, okay, these are the things that I have learned, and now I'm called to go out into my life, into the the world around me, and I'm to live it. I'm to embody it. I'm to take the word of God, and it is to influence every aspect of who I am. If doctrine is treated as the end point, if we stop at doctrine, we become condescending, we begin to lack empathy for others. If, if I stop at doctrine, when somebody stumbles, when somebody falls, when somebody is hurting, and I'm looking at it from the outside, I say, well, if you would have just done this, it would have been fine. If you would have just followed the rules like it says right here, then you would have been fine. I don't know what to tell you. Try, better ne- try harder next time. Is that, is that demonstrating the love of God? Man, I hope not. 
What if God looked at, at the struggles that we have, at the, the failings that take place in our life and said, well, if you would have just done what I wrote down, you would have been fine. No. The heart of God is, is to, to run to that person that's hurting, run to that person that, that has fallen down and say, I, I'm here. What do you need? How can I help you? I love you in the midst of this difficulty. The scheme of the enemy tells us that we would rather be right than to love our brother or our sister. Do you ever just want to be right? Sometimes I just want to be right. And, and we kind of trick ourselves into, well, it's not that I just want to be right. I just want other people to know I was right. <laughs> Right? Because then at least everyone is, is understanding that, that I knew better. Everyone is understanding that, that, that I'm this good. And yes, we love you. But everybody knows I was right. To be clear, doctrine isn't the enemy. We have to care about doctrine. Doc, doctrine is critical. It, it, it is necessary and it, it's necessary not to condemn other people, but it's necessary to communicate to those that are choosing to be part of our body, part of the body of Christ, that this is what we believe. This is what we as a people stand for. This is who we are. Come along with us in whatever capacity you can. Grow with us as we strive to live and grow in this So let's pause for a minute. This letter was written to these seven churches, not to me. But this letter was written for us. And so if in listening to this, at any point today, you feel called out, good. Because that's the whole point. <laughs> As we go through this process, that is the whole point. We are supposed to be feeling called out. This is a letter to the churches of that time and to all of the churches that came after saying, hey, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and you are going to mess it up. And this is how you come back. See, it would be so damaging if it was just a matter of, hey, I'm gonna call out all of the things that you have done wrong except for the fact that he says, and this is how you come back home. In every instance that we see this, there's this, this call to repentance that happens after the, the rebuke of behavior, saying, hey, you, you are, are doing these things and it's damaging and come back. Come back to this place. I, I want you to be in a relationship with me. I want you to be in a right place with me. Come back home. Being called out isn't the end. Just like doctrine isn't the end, with correction comes this call to repentance. Specifically, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. God loves you. When I am 
critical of my brothers and sisters in Christ, when I'm quick to point out the errors in their doctrinal views, when we start looking at other churches and say, man, why can't they just get their act together? Why do they have to act this way? Why, why, they're just missing out on, on these specific you know, points in, in their faith. When I'm quick to judge others, uh, other believers for who they're associating with in, in Christianity. In the midst of all of that, Jesus says, repent. That is, that is not what this is about. When it comes to doctrine, there are specific things that we, we do hold as, as maybe the closed fist of doctrine. These are the things that are the non-negotiables, that, that Jesus Christ was born of a Virgin Mary, that were saved through faith by grace alone, that, that there are specific things that, that we don't really budge on. And then there's all of these secondary issues that, that exist in the church that, that different denominations think differently about. And, and I think that's what this is talking about, is we're not supposed to get lost in all of these secondary issues. We're not supposed to get lost in all of that stuff to the point that we are, are at odds with our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. We're supposed to be partnering with them and seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't Pastor Matt saying, repent. This is Jesus Christ saying through John, repent. He who has an ear, let him hear. The second scheme of the enemy is a church that is spiritually aware but indifferent. One thing that, that I know I've done in the past when I've read through this specific section of Revelation Really, any time you read about these churches in the Bible, these uh, churches that are receiving these letters from maybe Paul or Peter or whoever, you start looking at it and you try and pick out what, what your church is, right? You try and say, well, I wonder if our church falls into this category. I feel like today we're, we're like this church over here and, and we try to slaughter ourselves in. And when we hear about these things, I, there, there's kind of a hard truth that we need to take away from this is that they all apply. <laughs> we are all of these churches at various times. This is something where we're going to see all of these different struggles throughout our, our, our time as followers of Jesus. Now, does that mean we just throw our hands up and say, well, it's inevitable, it's going to happen, so just deal with it? No, we need to be on the lookout in order to avoid these schemes, but the truth is they're going to happen because we live in a world where there's sin. We live in a world where there are human people that are here in the church that are broken, that have messes of lives, that are, are coming together. And when that happens, that mess spills over, just like the peanut butter and jelly, another example. So what does this mean where a church that is spiritually aware but indifferent? Indifferent. What are other words for indifference? Um, apathy. It's not a big deal. The God of the universe has revealed himself to us through his word. 
One of the ways that we know we have fallen prey to the schemes of the enemy, to this one specifically, is when we actually don't care to know any more about the creator of the universe. If the creator of the universe has revealed himself to us through his word, and we are actually maybe not specifically saying those words, but through our actions demonstrating that we don't care to know him anymore. And spoiler, like choosing not to read your Bible is, is saying that. <laughs> then that's a problem. That's, that's not good. But Matt, I'm so busy. I've got so much stuff going on. The, the apathy that's talking about here is, is biblical illiteracy. To have no clue about the character of God. And what happens when we don't have a clue about the character of God and yet we choose to still, still participate and be a part of the body of Christ? If I choose to be biblically, biblically illiterate and yet still participate in the body of Christ, guess what I start doing? I just start making stuff up. <laughs> I just show up and I'm just going to start making stuff up about God because I, I obviously am not informed about the character of who God is or, or what it is that, that he thinks because I'm not choosing to be in that connection. And so what happens is we get people that start just making stuff up about God. We start getting that hallmark Christianity that just says, well, I think this is in the Bible somewhere. We have to be a biblically serious people. I want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape my life. That's, that's the, the counter to this scheme of the enemy is to, to seek the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape everything about who I am. I want the Spirit of God and the Word of God to shape the relationship that I have with my wife. I want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape how I parent my children. I want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape how I spend my money. Does it, are we starting to kind of see a trend? I want the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to shape how I interact with every single one of you. That is the, the desire of my heart, and, and that has to be in order to avoid becoming indifferent. How does salvation work? How, how do I learn how salvation works? Through the Spirit of God, using the Word of God to tell me how salvation works. Another way that we can fall prey to this particular scheme is when we start to tolerate sin in our lives and in our congregation and the world around us. If we look back to the churches who received this letter, they were in a culture that was so completely counter to the direction of God. If we, we think about Rome, and we think about all of the things that we know about Rome, and we think about some of the, the other cultures of that time, where sexual promiscuity was the norm, where there were pagan temple gatherings, 
There were celebrations and festivals that almost always had various sexual aspects to them that, that promoted promiscuity, that promoted adultery, that promoted perversion, all of these different things that were happening. And it was happening to such a degree in that time that it was just normal. It wasn't something that they looked at and was like, oh, wow, that's, that's shocking that that's happening. It's just like, well, that's Tuesday. Like, I, I don't get it. What, what's, what's, what's going on here? It was so commonplace that it was almost hard to notice that there was even a problem. This letter was written to these churches, but it was written for us. If we look at what is happening around us today, if we look at the entertainment industry, if we look at social media, if you look at the culture at large, we see this enormous pull to normalize behaviors that are sin. Sexual immorality. If we look at anything that exists in the entertainment industry, you do not have to look far to find sex outside of marriage. You don't have to look far to see sex between uh, uh, people that aren't husband and wife. You don't have to look far to see things that aren't sexual, things that are dealing with substance abuse, things that are dealing with dishonest behavior, things that are counter to the way of God. Immoral behavior. The scheme of the enemy is that we would over time slide into a lukewarm indifference towards these things because, man, it's just everywhere and it seems like we're doing okay still. Maybe it's not that big a deal. No, it is a big deal because God is never lukewarm towards sin. God hates sin. Let's just be really clear on that. God hates sin. Does he still love the person you bet? But does he hate sin? Yes, sin destroys. Remember, we had that talk a couple weeks ago. How would you feel? How would you treat sin if you recognize that it is destroying the person that you love? And how much more so God who loves us even more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. First and foremost, we have to hate the sin that exists in ourselves just like God does. We have to long to be a family of faith that holds ourselves accountable. Oh, yuck, that word, accountable. Yes, we have to be accountable to one another. We need to have people in our lives that are not only able to call out inconsistency, but they are encouraged to do it. And once again, Jesus doesn't stop at pointing out our problems and saying, man, you guys are a train wreck. But there's a way for you to come back home. Repent. That the church would repent and return to him. He who has ears, let them hear. The third scheme from the enemy is a church that is spiritually weary and falling away. Remember, if we're, we're looking at the, the church in that time, how powerful would that pull have been to give up? Just to say, man, this isn't worth it. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. This, is, this seems unfair. 
to step away from the persecution, to step away from the poverty, to step away from the fear that they were experiencing under the, the oppression that was coming from the government from Rome. Again, we don't have to look far to, to see social media and mainstream media where time and time again, followers of Christ are stumbling or maybe just making a, a choice to step away from the faith. Or maybe just as bad, we see people who, in order to justify their own behavior, in order to justify their own choices, in order to deal with the guilt that they are feeling more than likely brought on by the Holy Spirit, they undermine and try to explain away the Word of God or they try and change and shape the Word of God to, to fit their need and their application. God's Word is here to shape me, not the other way around. If I start trying to use the Word of God as an excuse for my bad behavior, that is clearly a problem. The scheme of the enemy is to paint a picture that depicts the people of God as being on the losing side. So that we don't even show up to the fight in the first place. If, if the enemy can, can make it feel like we are on our own, that, that we are on an island, that there is no one coming for help, excuse me, to help, then why even show up? The scheme is to isolate. The scheme is, scheme is for us to see all of the faults of the church, all of the faults of, of the pastor, all of the faults of the person sitting next to you, and at the same time ignore everything that is wrong with you. <laughs> that is the, the scheme of the enemy, is to, to say, look at how broken everything is around you. Why would you ever want to be a part of this? And let's be clear, church hurt is real. When you put trust and faith in a gathering of people, and then you find out that there is hypocrisy, that there is maybe abuse or, or other hurt that is happening, that is real. And I don't want to, to dismiss that reality. But what I would say is that when we come and we do church life with one another, again, we're, we're broken people. And things like that can happen. And when they do, there's a choice. We have a choice of whether or not we will allow those events to embitter and stop us from moving forward in the kingdom of God or whether we will choose forgiveness and move forward. If we look in, in the, the wild, if you look at um, killer whales are kind of an interesting uh, an interesting illustration for this. We, killer whales, like if you watch the National Geographic videos or you watch the Discovery Channel, killer whales are like the apex predator. They're, they're like the, the one that uh, you, you want to avoid. Um, they're the ones that are eating the great white sharks. They're the ones that are eating the dolphins. They're the ones that, that you know, eat various things. And I know that everybody's like, oh, don't call them killer whales. They're orcas. And oh, okay, whatever. Um, the, there's some interesting studies that have been done in terms of how uh, orcas hunt their prey. What will happen is this pod of orcas will come and they will disorient 
their prey. They'll start swimming above, below, around side, and they're never making contact. They're, they're just scaring the living daylights out of their prey, and they intentionally leave an opening for their prey to leave. And their prey immediately takes that opening because that's the only option. Little do they know is they have a second pod that is outside waiting for them to go in that specific direction. As soon as they get there, they're eaten. That feels like a pretty clear illustration for what it is that the enemy is trying to do in these types of situations is that there's all of this stuff that's happening around us here in, in the church body where, where we're, we're just seeing brokenness, we're seeing dysfunction, and eventually you get to a point where, man, I'm out of this, I'm out of here, and you leave, and now you have a single believer in Christ who's isolated, who's wounded, and now is ripe for the enemy to pick off. Predators are looking for something that is alone, something that is weak, something that is wounded. And that is how the enemy operates as well. Remember the example that I also gave a couple of weeks ago where, where Eve came home with a toy, right? She, she had this toy, it was a small toy, and we told her, make sure you put it away where you're supposed to put it. Otherwise, you're going to lose it. 30 minutes later, she comes to me, Dad, I lost the toy. Okay, well, <laughs> you got to go look for it. And so I'm riding on my bike out in the garage, and, and she's looking in, in her play area in the garage. She's looking in her room. She's, she's looking in the house, and she comes to me like 10 minutes later and says, all hope is lost. I cannot find it. <laughs> Literally, all hope is lost is the words that come out of my five-year-old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all hope is lost. But that's us sometimes. And, you know, obviously we're, we're saying, well, yeah, but the things that we're, we're concerned about are so much more important. <laughs> are they really? <laughs> maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But, but maybe, just maybe, when we make those sorts of statements, when that is the cry of our heart, when that's how we truly feel, maybe it's an indicator of incorrect perspective. Maybe all hope isn't lost when this particular situation is happening. Is this uncomfortable? You bet. Would I rather not be in this situation? Absolutely. Does that mean all hope is lost? No, my hope is in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes we look around at all of the attacks against the church, against us personally, and we just throw our hands up and say, all hope is lost. Man, can I, I'll be honest, there, there are absolutely times, and you know, there have been times probably a little, a little more recently than I'd like to admit that I've just kind of maybe had a moment and said, man, all hope is lost. But that is the scheme of the enemy. To make us feel like there is no hope, that there is no future, no plan that could possibly redeem us from the world and the situation in which we find ourselves. But church, that is why the book of Revelation was written in the first place. God says, I do have a plan. A plan that, that oddly enough lines up pretty closely to that promise that was made in Jeremiah 29, 11. <laughs> plan to, that, that are going to prosper you, that, that give you a hope and a future. I have plans for you. The book of Revelation says that I do have hope. 
I do have a future contrary to the schemes of the enemy that would tell me otherwise. I have a future. God has a plan in the midst of where I am today, just like he had a plan for those people that were 3,000 years ago. And it was a, a plan for them, and it was a plan for me. The victory has already been won. And yet again, here we are. We have this invitation to repent. This invitation back into the fullness of life. So often when we look at at conviction, when we maybe, I don't know, maybe you've been hearing things this morning and you're saying, gosh, that that sort of applies. That that might fit in my life somehow. Man, I hope so. Um, (laughs) But conviction is actually something that we should rejoice over, something that we should be so incredibly thankful for because it means that we have an opportunity to return back to the heart of God, return back to God's best for our life. That is what conviction ultimately means. It's that opening of coming back to God. So how are we going to come against these things? How are we going to combat these schemes? These schemes were were taking place within the churches 7,000, or excuse me, these seven churches thousands of years ago. But if we look around today, it seems like they're still happening here. They're still happening in in every church USA. It is a normal thing. So how do we combat them? Well, if we look at the first first game, we combat them by living out the doctrine that we, we preach, living out the doctrine that we have learned. Just like we first discussed, the way that we combat the schemes of the enemy is by living out God's word. Our community is be shaped and formed by doctrine, not just coming together for a really good potluck every once in a while, not just coming here for the free eggs. There needs to be something else that distinguishes me as being a follower of Jesus. And let's get maybe a little more uncomfortable. There needs to be something else than me just showing up on a Sunday morning. This means that church has to be bigger than just, oh yeah, those are that that group of people that I come and I sing with once a week. It has to be bigger than this is just a group of people that show up on my Facebook feed. It has to be bigger than all of that. Brokenness can't be hidden. Doubts and fears have to be shared. I have to be accountable. I need to show you my life. Maybe you're here this morning and, and on hearing these three schemes, you're, you're starting to see that, man, there are areas where there, is, there are strongholds that exist in my life. There are, are areas where I have allowed the enemy to, to step foot on ground that he should not be on. Maybe there are areas where I have become complacent. Maybe there are areas where, where I'm judging other people when I, I should be loving them. Maybe there are areas where I'm just ready to, to put myself on an island and give up. Maybe that is you this morning. This morning, we're going to have a time of prayer, and I invite you to bring these areas to God. Just like it said, God corrects and disciplines who he loves, and he always gives a way to come back. There is an invitation to repent, to return to the fullness of God. He who has ears, let them hear. God, we hear.
we hear, we are listening to your word this morning. God, come and do a work in us this morning. Lord, we, we want to return back to a, a people that is, is not only receiving the doctrine that you ha- have placed in your word, God, but that is living it that is living it in our workplaces, that is living it in our families, living it in in any interaction with those that we come in contact with. God, we want to be a people that does not stand for sin to exist. Lord, we will not treat sin in a lukewarm way. When we see sin, we will exterminate it. God, we want to be a people that stands together that, that doesn't give up easily, that doesn't, doesn't throw in the towel for the, the easy way, but instead perseveres, endures, presses on to the goal that you have set before us. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that would change, shape, and transform. Lord, we make ourselves available this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 